What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be giving you guys my college football Week 12 reactions. We're going to be talking about Oregon defeating Utah, USC outlasting UCLA, Michigan and Ohio State survive near upsets, and South Carolina stuns Tennessee at home. We're going to talk about it, but before we do, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. If you're listening to this episode on YouTube, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Also, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast every single video an episode that is uploaded on the YouTube channel is available on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. I would greatly appreciate it if you guys go ahead, rate us five stars, and share the podcast with a friend or family member. Help spread the word of JT Sports, man, because we're trying to grow. We're trying to get to 20K. So if you're a fan of the channel, you like the content that we're pushing out, make sure that you guys go ahead, rate the podcast five stars. Go ahead, check out the JT Sports podcast. Oregon defeated Utah 20-17. to One thing that definitely popped out to me in Oregon's win was... How physical they were in this game, especially their defensive line. I mean, their defensive line probably played their best game of the season. And Dan Lanning even touched on it a little bit in his post-game presser after this game. Oregon's defense was really good when it came to getting penetration behind the line. Tavian Thomas, I mean, he had a pretty slow night. They held him in check. He had 19 carries for 55 rushing yards, and he averaged less than three yards per tote. And you got to remember, the last time these two teams played, when they played in 2021, they faced off twice. The first time they played, Tavian Thomas went off. He had 21 carries for 94 rushing yards and three touchdowns, and he was averaging 4.5 yards per carry. In the Pac-12 championship, he was still doing pretty good damage. 18 carries for 63 yards, and he had two touchdowns. So Oregon, in their previous matchups against Utah, they've been dominated up front. Utah has been able in the past to come in and just impose their will on Oregon. But in this game, it seemed like the roles were flipped. And Oregon's defensive line was getting so much pressure that it forced Cam Rising to have to make some throws that he normally wouldn't make. And they were some really bad throws. Like, Cam Rising was not good in this game. The dude was 21-38 for 170 passing yards, three interceptions, and no touchdowns. And yeah, he was able to do a little bit of damage on the ground with his legs, something that he does pretty much every single game. But I mean, the dude costed Utah this W. The youth defense probably played... The best game they have 
all season. And it's funny because the key factor and why Oregon won this game and why the Utes lost was points off turnovers. Oregon's defense didn't allow any turn any points off turnovers. And Oregon also coughed the football up a good bit. And Utah's defense held strong on some occasions, but Oregon's defense was more reliable, okay? Or they came through in more situations compared to Utah's. And on top of that, you know, it's really deflating as a defense where you get a turnover and then next play, you got to go right back on the field because your quarterback just gave it back up. There were two occasions when that happened. You had the one when Utah recovered the fumble and then Cam Rising gave it right back. And then he had another one in the second half of the game. So, I mean, he threw two bad interceptions after Utah's defense forced turnovers. And then he threw pretty much a game-stealing interception in the fourth quarter that pretty much won the game for Oregon in a sense. So Cam Rising pretty much played the worst game of his career as a Ute. Utah's defense played good, but Oregon's defense played better. They were the more physical team. Offensively, we probably knew that Oregon's performance in this game wasn't going to be on par with the ones that they've put on display for all year due to the fact that we didn't know if Bo Nix was even going to play in this game. Dan Lenning in his press conference was saying that Bo Nix was rehabbing all week. And if it wasn't for Pac-12 after dark, the extra hours that they had, he was using to rehab. So Bo Nix had to go through a lot to even be able to play in this game. And he wasn't fully 100%, so his mobility wasn't there. And the run game wasn't as good in this game as it has been all year. Due to the fact that Bo Nix was limited with what he could do with his legs. However, it's funny that the biggest moment of the game... Bo Nix was able to keep the drive alive for Oregon using his legs despite having that injury. And it's a true, you know, I think that when you think of Bo Nix this season for Oregon, I definitely think that this team has rallied behind him. Because that was really gutsy of him telling the coaching staff, hey, you guys can run me. Yeah, I'm not healthy. I haven't run that much this game. This is the biggest moment. Let's do what we got to do to win. Now, Bo Nix didn't light up the stat sheet, but I really think that the performance he had with the injury that he was playing with was really impressive. And we have to talk about Deontay Thornton. I mean, this dude is a, a machine. He accounted for the majority of Oregon's receiving yards. Four receptions, 151 receiving yards. Bro, Utah could not stop this man. No matter what they did, he was getting open. And outside of his fumble, I mean, this dude was flawless. And not just him, but the whole entire receiving core for Oregon. I mean, they have some dudes. Next season, they're probably going to have the best receiving core in college football. I mean, everybody in this receiving room has been highly touted coming out of high school, five or four stars. And not only that, but they can run. 
They have guys who were running track. So really fast time. So for Bo Nix, yeah, this offense wasn't as explosive. But at the same time, they still did have hell of big plays when they needed them. And Deontay Thornton was a big part of that. But, you know, Oregon almost lost this game. Because Utah played good enough to win. Utah, I don't think is overrated. I just think that in one possession games, they've came up small. And this was another good example of that. But Oregon, coming out the halftime, they tried to do like a wide receiver reverse toss. And they did it with their backup quarterback, Ty Thompson. And you would think, okay... They bring Ty Thompson out. They're probably going to run the football. Understandable because Bo Nix kind of limited. You don't want to run him that much. Risk further injury. But they didn't run Ty Thompson. They just ran the attempted reverse, whatever it was. And it failed. And it was like, bruh, what the hell were they thinking? And Dan Landing even said after the game, you know, they learned from that. You feel me? That definitely could have costed them. But it's like, man. I mean, for Utah, you should have won this game. And Dan Lanning knows that they they walked away with one. You feel me? But at the end of the day, Oregon is still the winner. We have to give them credit where credit is due. This defense played their best game of the season. There was a reporter that asked Dan Lanning that the responsibilities of the defense changed did he have a little bit more of a say was he more involved in the play calling he just said that it was an overall good team effort but you definitely do have to wonder what went into this defense playing so well because Utah's offense is also really good as well and let's not forget what they've done to this team in the past so Oregon did something defensively. They saw something on film that definitely was able to be exploited. And they exploited it all game. Like, it's not as if Utah has a completely different team from what they had last year. This is pretty much the same team from last year that dominated Oregon up front. And Oregon just pushed them around this go-around. And yeah, they still got outgained on the ground. But, I mean, the stats don't really tell the story of who was the more physical team. You actually had to watch this game to see it. Like, Oregon was pushing their weight around on Utah. And for Utah, you know, I kind of thought that this team was going to be a little bit better than what they've shown us this season. This year, Joe Klatt, many others, viewed them as a potential contender for the college football playoffs. But the thing that has... Haunted this team all year has been their inability to win games that are one possession in the fourth quarter. Cam Rising doesn't really rise up to the occasion in these situations. You remember week one and their upset on the road against Florida? He threw that interception right in the red zone. Now, it's not all his fault because what the hell was the coaching staff thinking you feel me? You kind of want to throw the ball outside of the end zone or to the back of the end zone. So that was risky calling that. But at the same time, he still made the throw, so I got to hold him responsible. Then we also can't forget about the USC game. Like, there's been too many occasions where 
Utah has just been unable to finish games out in crunch time. And this was another example of that. So Oregon improves to 9-2. and two. They clinched their spot in the Pac-12 championship game. Let me know what you guys think about Oregon's win over Utah and how you guys feel about the Utes moving forward. Now, before we move on, if you are listening to this on pod, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a five-star review on the podcast. Greatly helps us out. We greatly appreciate it. We've been at 49 five-star reviews for like a year and a half. I would love to get the 50 by the end of this week. So make sure that if you're listening to this on pod, that you go ahead and give this a five-star review. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. All you have to do is go to whichever podcasting platform that you use, type in JT Sports, and it will pop up. Or you can go to the links down in the description down below And it will take you directly to whichever podcasting platform you prefer, Apple or Spotify. USC beats UCLA 48 to 45. Now, there were a lot of Bruins fans after the game on social media going absolutely crazy on Chip Kelly for the defense. And they pre- it pretty much seems like many UCLA fans are trying to pin this loss on the defense. And I really don't understand it. Like, the defense played good enough for UCLA to win. The defense gave UCLA the ball to end this game. Something that if you're Chip Kelly and Dorian Thompson Robinson, you want. You want to have the game in your hands. You want to have the opportunity to drive down the field and beat your rival. However, what did Dorian Thompson Robinson do? He wasn't able to deliver. He had four turnovers in this game. But yeah, we want to try to put all of the blame on the defense. We know that Chip Kelly's defenses aren't good. We know that UCLA has to win shootouts to win. However, the defense isn't the main cause for why they lost this game. The defense gave the Bruins an opportunity to win, which is all you can ask for. And not not only that, but let's not forget that there was one point where UCLA was up 14-0 to start this game. Dorian Thompson-Robinson gave us the DTR experience. You know... I have a question for UCLA fans and USC fans. What do you guys think is going to be his legacy once he moves on from Bruins football? Because I think of Dorian Thompson Robinson as a really good player who at times can be a little reckless. And at times he can cost you games. Sometimes you don't even want to trust him to throw the football. And in this game, we got the full experience of the DTR roller coaster. I mean, the dude had a good game, but a bad game. That's really the best way I can put it. 23 of 38, 309 pass yards, four touchdowns, but three interceptions. He also had 81 rushing yards and two touchdowns. But he also had a fumble. So it's like, the dude played good. 
He put UCLA in position to win this game, but he also put UCLA in position to lose this game. He had two interceptions right before halftime. Imagine if he didn't have those interceptions. UCLA, they score, they go up double digits going into the half. And then you can run the ball with Zach Charbonnet, control time possession. You see, the game plan to beating UCLA has been the same throughout DTR's tenure. Stop the run, keep DTR in the pocket, force him to beat you through the air, and there you go. USC's defense, something that we have criticized about them all season long, has been their physicality. They look pretty physical to me in this game. I mean, they did a pretty good job at holding Zach Charbonnet to under 100 yards. Because we know when Zach Charbonnet goes for over 100, UCLA, they barely lose. And they were able to put the Bruins into third and long situations on a good amount of occasions. And that's how they were able to, you know, force Darian DTR to make mistakes. And I really don't understand the two interceptions before halftime. Like, bruh, you got to understand the situation. Some of those, one of those interceptions, the second one he threw, it's just awful. It's just really disappointing if you're UCLA. Because you came really close to winning this game. And, you know, many Bruins fans, and we're going to talk about USC. I know you guys are like, when the fuck are you going to talk about us? I got you. UCLA fans are really irritated with Chip Kelly, okay? They understand what he's done the last two seasons. This program is moving in a pretty good direction. However, you see Lincoln Riley comes in and only one season surpasses anything that Chip Kelly has done during his time as a head coach for UCLA. Like, you want to be that team that's going to the Pac-12 championship. You want to be that team that's competing for the college football playoffs. But, however, Chip Kelly seems to kind of be holding you back because of his inability to recruit. And that definitely was on display in this game. You know, I don't feel like USC was the overwhelming better team. But I definitely see defensively UCLA is lacking key talent in positions that you need to have talent at. And Chip Kelly hasn't really done a good job at recruiting. And that's something that UCLA fans are really frustrated with. UCLA fans are just frustrated that you see your rival across the street from you having so much success. And you're asking yourself, why not us? Don't we have the same resources? Don't we have similar situations? I mean, why can't we have this success? So I understand the frustration from UCLA fans about this loss. Like, I don't think Bruins fans are expecting to make it to the college football playoffs, but however, you would like to taste a little bit of the success that USC has tasted for over the past, what, two decades? Now, you look at this win from USC's perspective. I mean, Caleb Williams is insane, dog. I really can't believe I thought he was overrated. And I'm glad I'm somebody who actually doesn't listen to the opinions of people in the national media. And I actually go and I try to form my own opinion. Because 
There were a lot of people who kind of made it seem like Caleb Williams was overrated. He didn't have a great arm. He was a solid player, but not as good as what a lot of people were making him out to be. Bruh, Caleb Williams is a dog. He remind, He's like a more athletic and stronger version of Russell Wilson. He's like everything that Russell Wilson is, but better in a sense. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anything that Russell Wilson has done, but... If you had to ask me a comparison for Caleb Williams, that's what it is. This dude can make every single throw, especially when he gets outside the pocket. This is where he is so dangerous. 32 of 43, over 400 yards passing, two touchdowns. He did have an interception, but he made up for it. And he had 33 rushing yards and a touchdown. Austin Jones, bro, we was talking about the loss of USC losing their star running back and die. But yet, everybody seemed to kind of forget that USC does have a lot of pretty taunty guys in the running back room. So Austin Jones comes out, 21 carries for 120 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, that kind of catches you by surprise. Because oftentimes, when USC has been having success on the ground, it's been with die. But Austin Jones came out there, and this dude was a tank. He was a tank. UCLA could not stop him. And Jordan Addison, bro, I almost forgot that he was one of the best receivers in college football because we've been so worried about the dude, Johnston from TCU, and all these other wide receivers. I forgot about Jordan Addison. And honestly, it's, it's a damn Pac-12 because the games be so late at night sometimes that you don't really be having time to watch and play. But Jordan Addison, bro, was going off. 11 catches, 178 receiving yards, 16.2 yards per reception. in the touch. He had one play where Lincoln Riley, I believe, put him in the backfield. And he just flew past UCLA's defense. Like, they didn't even try to cover him, it seemed like. I mean, maybe they tried, but it didn't look like they was trying to me with how easy he scored. Like, USC's offense, it took, I'm not going to say it took them a while. However, they didn't get out to as fast as a start as UCLA's offense did. But once this offense really got going, they got going. And UCLA had no answers for them. And... Plus, you had the Dorian Thompson-Robinson turnovers. That didn't help. So, I mean, USC, even though they are the better team, you know, UCLA left a lot of points on the field. And these turnovers, if they only had one, I definitely think UCLA probably wins this game. Because UCLA had... All the momentum at one point. Even when USC was able to get that field goal before halftime, thanks to the DTR gifts, you still felt pretty confident about UCLA's ability to win the game because UCLA's offense was moving the ball down the field. The issue was just taking care of it. So you always had the feeling that this game was going to come down to whoever had the ball last and whoever was able to get the most turnovers. USC did that, plus they got one that pretty much sealed the game. And 
for all you USC fans who feel like, man, even if UCLA didn't have all those turnovers, we still would have won, bruh. UCLA had four turnovers, well, three turnovers, and still had the opportunity to win the game at the end. That tells you everything you need to know. You see, if USC was just an overwhelming, better team than UCLA, UCLA would have had those three turnovers and they would have been sent to the gulag because they would have been down by three possessions already and the game pretty much would have been wraps. So I think that UCLA, their defense, I think is getting a little bit too much criticism and the offense. I mean, we're just not going to talk about DTR's four turnovers. Come on, bruh. Like, I understand this is the last time we're going to see him play. He had a really good career at UCLA. And I think he's probably one of the better quarterbacks that the Bruins have had. But I mean, bruh, come on. He costed UCLA this game. And there's really people that's defending his performance. Like, I'm not saying he played bad, but he he didn't he didn't help win the game. As a matter of fact, he was a detriment to UCLA at times with all these turnovers. So USC's defense, you know, I gotta give them a lot of kudos. I mean, the defense may not be good statistically, and we may have concerns about how this defense will hold up if they make it to the playoffs, or even how they're going to hold up against Notre Dame or Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. But this defense, what they've done all season, they've been able to get key stops and big moments. And that's all you can ask for. Coming up in big situations, the Trojans improve. They're going to the Pac-12 championship. UCLA, they suffer their third loss of the season. Michigan and Ohio State survive upset Saturday, boy, because there were hell of upsets. Hell of upsets. And I was watching that Michigan-Illinois game on the edge of my seat because I have a homeboy of mine who plays cornerback for Illinois. So I was I was rooting for them to win. I wasn't expecting them to be in this game. I thought that Michigan was going to cover that point spread. However, this game initially looked like Michigan was going to run away with it because Michigan scored a touchdown on their opening possession. I was just like, dog, here we go. But then Illinois' defense, you know, they did a really good job at containing Michigan's offense, especially when Blake Corum got injured. Oh my goodness, you talk about a team that had to will themselves to a win. Michigan had to pull themselves up to win this one. And you look at Ohio State's win against Maryland, even though it was by a bigger margin, they also had to dig deep to win that game also. But Michigan, they had to dig deeper because the passing game, once Blake Corn went down, didn't look good. And even when Blake Horn was on the field, this offense was still struggling. J.J. McCarthy, this wasn't a good performance from him. And I definitely have huge concerns about how this passing game is going to look against Ohio State secondary. Although this was an Ohio State secondary that was getting shredded by Maryland and Talia Tagovailoa and those receivers. But I mean... Illinois secondary is really good and remind you that they had a couple of guys who weren't even playing who were key pieces of this secondary throughout this season 
So the fact that they were able to put Michigan in a situation where they had to rely on the passing game to somewhat win, I think played into the strength of Illinois. And Illinois, honestly, had plenty of opportunities to win this game. But they kind of got a little conservative, a little too safe and too conservative for times. There was a third and long, and they called a draw play. I never will understand that. Why are we calling draw plays on third and long? How often have we seen somebody convert a third and long off a draw play? Not that often. Don't understand it. Like, Illinois is just too conservative. There was no way that they possibly thought, yeah, we're going to give Michigan the ball and we're going to allow them to have to beat our defense to win. And they thought that they were going to keep them out of field goal range. Come on. And these games, when you're trying to pull off these upsets, man, you got to go get it. You got to go win. You can't just play it safe. You got to go claim your win, man. You look at Ohio State. I mean, they went and they got the victory. Maryland, same thing that Illinois did. However, they weren't conservative. It's just that Maryland had some bad penalties. I mean, they had an offsides penalty, and when the dude did it, he felt so bad. He was like, ah, oh, and, I, and I was looking, and I was like, yeah. And they took him right on about the game. I was like, I probably would too. Like, Mike Loxley, you know, there's too many games that I watch in Maryland. And I don't watch too many Maryland games. But when I do, it seems like they're just so undisciplined at times. Talented team, just they get in their own way. And Maryland's offense, when it's on, it's on. I mean, this receiving core is just as good as any other in the nation. But I'm looking at Ohio State's defense, and I'm just kind of like, man, I mean, how's this defense going to look against Michigan? Well, I mean, we don't even know what's going to happen with Blake Corum. So I look at Ohio State's performance against Maryland, and these are some of my takeaways from what I saw on the defensive side. I think that in the fourth quarter, this defense really started to play their best football where they needed to in the biggest moment. The last drive, um, number nine, Zach Harrison, I believe that's his name. Bro, that dude was going off. I mean, Maryland could not stop him. And the other dude, 44, he had a fantastic performance against Penn State. But number nine for Ohio State, Zach Harrison, he was also having a pretty good performance in his own right in the fourth quarter of this game. And really, Ohio State, their defensive line started to take control of this game in the fourth quarter. And they already kind of neutralized the run game for Maryland, which is something that Maryland never seems to be able to do is run the football. So that didn't really help. So once the defensive line of Ohio State really started teeing off and they were able to put Maryland in situations where in the red zone, you got to throw the football to convert. Like it's hard to score in the red zone. And it's even harder the score in the red zone when you got to throw the football because everything gets condensed. So you just look at Mike Loxley and you look at Maryland in this game, you know, it just was a game that got away from them. But 
you never kind of doubted if Ohio State was going to win. The outcome was never really in question. However, when I was watching that Michigan-Illinois game, I genuinely thought that Illinois was going to pull off the upset. I mean, they were going on a run in the third quarter. I mean, Michigan kind of looked like they weren't the better team. And it's funny because I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago about this game. And I was saying that Illinois and Michigan are more similar than what a lot of people think. They both run the ball like hell. They got really good running backs. Chase Brown, Heisman caliber performance in this game. 29 carries, 140 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Blake Corm also had a phenomenal performance in this game. But what makes this team so similar is that defensively, they got pretty good defensive lines. And their defenses all are pretty rock solid. However, Michigan, I think late in the game, the fact that Illinois couldn't really handle Michigan up front is why they lost this game. Not to mention the big return by, uh, what's his name? What's his name? He had number eight. I can't think of his name right now. It's escaping me. But he had a big return. It's going to come to me eventually. But he had a big punt return that put Michigan in excellent field position. Then, you know, there was a little bit of a controversial call where there was a Michigan receiver that kind of was a little bit blocking, a little bit too far up ahead field. And some people argue that it should have been offensive pass interference. Um, Illinois' head coach went to Twitter. He also retweeted it and kind of called out the officials for it. But, I mean, Illinois had hella opportunities to win this game. But Michigan survived. And, I mean, this team found the way to win. found the way to win. Same thing with Ohio State. And what's funny about Ohio State is that they didn't have a lot of success running the football until midway through the third quarter in this game. And I find it crazy how every time Ohio State seems like they're in a bind, they can lean on the run game to close out games. Even when they're not having a lot of success doing it, they always find ways to get that run game going. Not all the time, but most of the times. And that's how they escape. They get the run game going late. They wear you down. They tie you out. They keep your offense off the field. Your defense gets tired. And then when your offense comes on the field, their defensive line really starts to take control of games. Like Ohio State gets better up front as we progress throughout games. First, second quarter, they heat up. Third quarter, they're hot. Fourth quarter, they're on fire. Go back again. Go back and watch the Penn State game. Like this defensive line really takes control of games in the fourth quarter. And I think that this offensive line, even though it is inconsistent, does a really good job in clutch situations. When Ohio State needs to run the football, they can run the football. They have injuries galore at running back. I mean, we don't even be knowing who half these guys are, who they have at running back. At least the casual fan in me, I'd be like, where's Travion Henderson? Oh, he's injured? Damn, okay, where's the other guy that they just had? Myron something. Oh, where, oh he's injured too? What's you? Who, who's this guy? Well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they just find ways to have success running the football 
late in games. So Michigan and Ohio State survived near upsets. I mean, I'm more concerned about Michigan than I am Ohio State simply for the fact that Blake Corum is the heart and soul of that team. And I mean, J.J. McCarthy, we're really just counting on his potential at this point. We're we're just waiting to see him put it all together. And it kind of seems like we've been waiting all season for J.J. McCarthy to have that game and to have those moments. And we've seen flashes, but we still haven't really seen that game out of J.J. McCarthy. And against Ohio State coming up, if Blake Corum isn't able to go, J.J. McCarthy, he's going to have to carry this team on his back, and he's going to have to be able to will Michigan to a win. Now, Michigan's defense is going to buy him some stops. I mean, their defense was pretty good in this game, up to the most part. I just think that with them having to be on the field for so many plays because the offense was going three and out and not really have a lot of success for most of the afternoon, their defense started to get a little bit tired. But overall, they were able to find a way to pull off the win in the end. And I think that Michigan is really good at finding different ways to win. You know, they can win with special teams. I got to look up who the dude was who made that return. Because I know you guys are going... Ronnie Bell, that's his name. Ronnie Bell, that's his name. Ronnie Bell had a huge punt return that put Michigan in really good field position. And I think for Michigan... When you compare them to Ohio State, I think Ohio State is a more talented football team on the offensive side, but defensively, I think that Michigan has a lot more depth on the defensive line, and I like their secondary a little bit more. However, Michigan also has way more different ways to win compared to Ohio State. I mean, like... Yeah, we talk about, you know, J.J. McCarthy's performance in this game against Illinois, but at the same time, he has shown the ability to have success throwing the football downfield. It's just that it hasn't been consistent. So I think that Michigan has a lot of different ways to win. However, Ohio State, they're just a powerhouse. It's just so hard to keep them down. So let me know what you guys think about Michigan and Ohio State surviving scares. I mean, this was upset Saturday. Definitely lived up to his name. We had a hell of upsets. And we got to talk about another upset. One that really, really hurt me. South Carolina upset the Vols. I mean, this game was a... This game was a bloodbath for Tennessee fans. You gave up 63 points to a South Carolina offense that struggled all season. Spencer Rattler, I got to give it up to you. The man of the hour, Spencer Rattler. For the first time, it seems like ever, Spencer Rattler finally had a game where he lived up to all the potential that we all talk about in the offseason. But throughout this season... We haven't really seen it at all. Well, we definitely saw it in this game. 30 of 37, 438 passing yards, school record, six touchdowns in this game. The Rattlers struck. The Rattlers struck in this game. Tennessee, their cornerbacks were awful. And I definitely hope that these were not the same cornerbacks that 
Tennessee were giving out those McDonald's bags to a couple of years ago because if they are definitely money that was not well spent and Josh Heupel needs to go in the transfer portal and he needs to offer every single top level cornerback that's out there to improve this secondary because they need not just more talent but they need a lot of depth because if you're going to run the fastest offense in college football you know that your defense is automatically going to be at a disadvantage in every single game. So you know that you're going to need elite death at corner. I don't understand why it seems like Tennessee's offense, you know, doesn't try to somewhat help out the defense when they see the defense struggling. You know, their solution is just, we're just going to outscore them and maybe their defense ends up getting the stop or two. But I don't think Tennessee did a really good job at recognizing, hey, our defense is struggling. Maybe we should try to change our offensive approach a little bit. Now, Tennessee's offense did start out really slow in this game, and South Carolina's defense did their job. However, there were definitely opportunities where Tennessee's offense definitely could have got sparked up and they could have got going. However, it's just that, I think that Tennessee just doesn't play enough complimentary football. And yes, it is okay to have the fastest offense in college football. However, I do think that you can tone it down a little bit. Some things we tend to overindulge in. You know, there's a reason why it's bad to have too much of anything, right? Too much money, too much food, too much of anything is bad for you because you tend to overindulge in it. And when you overindulge in it, you tend to over-rely on it. And when it comes to this offense and Josh Heupel, it seems like they're kind of overindulging in this doggone tempo. Like, can you slow it down a little bit and help out your defense? Like, what's the point of going super fast if you're just going to end up going three and out? What's the point of going super fast if you realize that your defense is struggling and your defense needs a little bit of a break? So for Tennessee, man, this defense got absolutely exposed. And I was really surprised because, like, it's not as if Tennessee's defense has been this bad all this season. This was the same Tennessee defense that shut down Kentucky's offense. And I understand that Kentucky's offense isn't anything to write home about. But this was the same Tennessee defense that shut down LSU's offense. I mean, I don't know what has happened to this defense over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if they're still having a little bit of PTSD for what happened against Georgia. But I mean, this defense was really bad. And everybody talks about Tennessee secondary being one of the worst when it comes to pass yards per game allowed. But I mean, this is a pretty good team when it comes to being able to get pressure on the quarterback. And they are pretty good against the run. So I mean, like, in this game, you would have thought that some adjustments would have been made. And then you kind of would have thought that they would have been able to get a turnover or two. But nah. I mean, Spencer Rattler was as flawless as flawless can be in this game. He was looking like Jesus on the football field. And then Hendon Hooker. This hurt me, man. This hurt me. Because for those of you guys 
who have been listening to the podcast all season. We've been huge fans of Hendon Hooker over here. We've been clamoring for Hendon Hooker winning the Heisman dating all the way back to the end of last season. And even over the course of this offseason, you guys can go check out my Instagram profile, my TikTok. We have several videos clamoring for Hendon Hooker winning Heisman. And it's just so heartbreaking to see how this game ended for him and how his career at Tennessee ends with him tearing his ACL. And he played a pretty good game as well. But it's just that, you know, Tennessee's offense just at times had some moments where South Carolina's defense got the best of them. And plus, with how fast their tempo is, their defense ended up having to come back on the field. And their defense is already at a disadvantage. And South Carolina was just throwing the football all over the place. Like, you could tell that Tennessee's defense was definitely gassed. And they definitely got to get some more depth at corner. But, Hendon Hooker, really sad what happened to him. It was really heartbreaking. And it's, it, it, it's really heartbreaking when you look at what South Carolina did to Tennessee. Because it's kind of like they just ripped their season apart. Everything Tennessee worked hard for up to this point seems like it's been taken away. I mean, their playoff hopes are gone. Hendon Hooker, unfortunate way for his career as of old to end. I mean, South Carolina was just on a warpath in this game. And Shane Beamer, this was a huge win for him. Like, Shane Beamer, I definitely think if we were giving out nominations for Coach of the Year in the SEC, he definitely wouldn't win it over Brian Kelly, but I definitely would have him number two. Because, I mean, South Carolina definitely overachieved again this season. Let's be honest, how many of you guys thought that South Carolina was even going to be able to be bowl eligible before the season? Because many people was like, man, South Carolina has really tough skills with JT. Like, it's going to be really hard for them to repeat the success that they had last season. Well, they did. And, I mean, they had some injuries on defense, offensively. I mean, they didn't have offense, it seemed like, until... This game, they didn't really have a quarterback, it seemed like, until this game. Like, it just seemed like this was just the perfect storm for South Carolina's offense. And I made a segment right before the season started about how this offense is going to shock the SEC. Yeah, I thought it was going to shock the SEC all season, but it shocked the SEC tonight. So, I mean, South Carolina... Huge win for Shane Beamer and company. This is definitely a team that you definitely can't count out. It seems like any time this team is an underdog, they find a way to come through and pull off the upset. And this was the same team that, you know, had lost last week. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't see this coming. And I'm going to be honest with you. I had Tennessee on my ticket. I thought that Tennessee was one of the safest bets that you could make, taking them to cover that, what, minus 21 and a half? And since this is the end of the podcast, I guess I'll tell you guys this little story. So a lot of my homeboys come to me when it comes to gambling advice on college football because I watch a lot of football and I'm pretty informed on it. And around this time, I'm pretty hot. So I've been giving out what my homies call locks and locks pretty much are, you know, wins pretty much. You picking the right game. So 
we picked three games. I told my homeboy I like Florida State minus 24 against Louisiana. They covered. And I like Duke plus seven and a half. Duke, we thought was going to blow the ticket because they were struggling against Pitt. However, you know, if you guys watch a little bit of Duke football, this is one of the luckiest teams I've seen in recent memory. They converted a fourth and 18 for a touchdown. Like, they could only score a touchdown. That was it. That was their only option. They didn't have no first down or nothing else they could do. They couldn't kick a field goal. They needed a touchdown. They got it. Now, they didn't get a two-point conversion, but it didn't matter because they covered. So, we're thinking, okay, we're in a good because my homeboy ends up not listening to me. I told him, do a single. Don't do parlays. Well, he doesn't listen. He does a parlay. So now he needs Tennessee to cover against South Carolina. And we were pretty confident about it. But he didn't watch the game. I watched the game because I had to make sure. And I had a little bit of a strange feeling. I was telling him, I was like, you know, bro, like, be careful, bro. Like, don't don't give Tennessee a little bit too much credit. There's been a lot of upsets happening. Well, Lord and behold, Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, they're just on fire for the first three possessions. And... My homeboy texts me. He's like, dang, bro, what's going on, bro? You think they going to cover still? I'm like, just chill, bro. Like, Tennessee, they got the fastest offense in college football. Their defense is really good at getting turnovers. And plus, South Carolina's offense hasn't been all that good this year. They're just a little hot right now. They're going to end up cooling off. They never cooled off. I mean, right now, South Carolina probably just scored another touchdown on Tennessee's defense. As we speak. And I mean this offense was just going off. I mean the scoreboard was blinking. Blink, 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 blink. Spencer Rattler had a fantastic performance in this game. And you know. For Tennessee. You kind of thought. Or you had the feeling that. You were going to slip up eventually. You know. You kind of didn't believe it. Because of how dominant you've been. But it kind of was a feeling that. You kind of felt all along just a little bit suppressed. But you know, this is still a really good season for Tennessee. No, I don't think they're overrated. Their over-under win total was only, what, seven, eight wins? They're probably going to end up going to a New Year's Six Bowl game if they can take care of business against Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah, Hendon Hooker is gone. That hurts. But, I mean, this is still a fantastic season that Tennessee has put together. And for South Carolina, I'm really interested in seeing if they're going to be able to beat Clemson. Because if they're able to beat Clemson, man, things are going to be really crazy down there. But I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Make sure that you follow us on Instagram at JT Sports underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. Check out the JT Sports Podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from the JT.